p.m. in Memphis. Giannato and Jeffrey time. Get off the fence. Live on Memphis's Sports Station. 92.9 FM ESPN. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Giannato and Jeffrey Show. Coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at jwright929ESPN. Dennis Fuller's producing the program for us. Glad he is with us. Sitting across from me is the Commercial Appeals lead sports columnist, the lead sports columnist in the number one sports section in the state of Tennessee. A top three sports columnist in the state of Tennessee. Barely. Tied for eighth best sports columnist in the United States of America. He's on Twitter at MGNato. Mark, good day, sir. Feels like we're starting to thaw out. Feels like it outside, inside. Some hot weather talk. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Don't change that dial. Um, this is really original programming. Can the Grizzlies thaw out of this losing streak? Not your best. No, not my best. Not your best. Um, are we concerned? Have we reached concerned level? What, like, what, if there was a, if, the, if, if we were to rate this show on a concernometer leading off about the Memphis Grizzlies right now, now that they've lost six to seven. We used to be known when Connor was here. And yes. I, I felt like he contributed a lot to it as the most Grizzlies positive show on this station. And I still think we are fairly positive about the Grizzlies, but obviously Connor, you know, he's the prince of positivity. And Connor also would get annoyed a lot. A lot. You, you and I get annoyed very easily. Yes, he could calm us down. Correct. Yes, but regardless. Where, I where's get the, annoyed the, concern, the most. Where's the year cons- behind me, and where's, then was Connor? How concerned are we? Are we? Or right, are we so, not concerned at all? So I think there is one key fundamental question that we need to discuss. Mm-hmm. And today, if you're joining us, today's today's Tasty Take Thursday is going to be pretty much exclusively a Grizzlies specific edition. I mean, listen, they this is the most. This is like they've never been takier. If that makes any sense, oh, they've in a been while. Ripe. No, they they have been ripe for the taking. Like this, if you will, this team in particular might be the takiest Grizzlies team of all time. They really do. They open themselves up to just just a buffet, both positive Correct. and negative takes. Correct. Yeah, they, it's a wide array of takes. Correct. And they they certainly they certainly uh, you know considering the market size and all that, they're they're hitting above their uh, weight. They're, oh. they're punching above their weight class these days. This is Finn Balor going for the world heavyweight title. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, wait, what? This this guy isn't big. Vince likes big guys. Wait, what? <laughs> so we're going to fire off some takes since it's Tasty Take Thursday. Then Eric Hasseltine's going to join us at 2.40 or so. He's in Cleveland. Grizzlies back in action tonight. Cleveland rocks. No Jaron Jackson Jr., it looks like, uh, tonight. Uh, so uh, that'll be interesting. Uh, but Eric, one way to put it, <laughs> Eric is in Cleveland. We'll get his uh, thoughts on the game, thoughts on what's going on with this team uh, as we approach the trade deadline. It's exactly one week from the trade deadline. Contrary to what Dylan Brooks thought, Dylan Brooks thought it was two week, two two weeks from now when he talked to the media last night. It is one week away. Um, so Eric's thoughts will be interesting. Well, in given fairness, all that. that's actually I kind of respect that out of Dylan. You would actually think, based on media conversation, that the trade deadline would be today. Yeah. No, and he thinks <laughs> he thinks it's too easy. Correct. I, I I honestly think Dylan is one of those guys where if like, I think he doesn't consume that much media. Like he's not on social media, really. Like he has accounts, but he's not doesn't feel active on it. I could believe that he he's one of the guys I could believe doesn't like read much coverage. I can buy that. Yeah. Um, like, it's not the same as when, like, let's be clear. When Jaws, like, I didn't see it, yes, you did. At the very <laughs> least, someone in his orbit Correct. saw it and told Correct. him about it. Yeah, Correct. that's you, how it works. You are always aware of what's going on. Um, Jaren seems, Jaren seems to maybe have the best approach in terms of someone who's clearly on it. He's got people again. It's like they've got people around them who, at the very least, tell like you know, like Jaron didn't read the Reddit story, but he's like, my homies were texting me about it. You know, like it's that you know, like ultimately, like they know what's being said about him, whether they actually read it or not. You right. Know? Okay, but back to back to the question at hand. To me, this is the this is the fundamental question to answer. Mm-hmm. Is last night an exposing, 
in which you've been able to kind of make excuses for you've been able to contextualize and make excuses for the stretch that we've seen over the last eight games. But last night felt very different. So was last night an exposing? Or was last night in the midst of a stretch of bad basketball an elite offensive player being an elite offensive player with a Robin-type performance from Anthony Simons that was about as good as Robin can be? Yeah. I think it is. Uh, we we have reached kind of that moment, if you will. Um, so, all right, let's fire off some takes related to that. Um, but we also got the list and Jason Smith later. Um, in terms of your question, what was different about last? Not different. I mean, it's now in this midst of this six and seven, six losses and seven games. I mean, three of them they blew. And I, and there are two of them they blew, pretty much. Right, you know, like there's no getting around it. Last night, I'd argue they blew as well. Um, but you could make, you could, again, you could say ultimately Damian Lillard made plays and they didn't. It was like kind of a, you know, more of a traditional NBA thing. Cause it feels like the losses have been separated into they blew it at the end or they got like outshot badly and they lost the game. And last night felt like a fusion of both. They kind of blew it a little bit and ultimately they got outgunned. Um, they couldn't hit enough threes. They, you know, and um, is that that feels like to me? As you look at it, you know, Taylor Jenkins took I thought a little social media heat for saying like we haven't practiced we haven't we haven't practiced in three weeks. Like that was one of, that was one of the talking points he had um, when he's talking when he's asked about the end of game struggles. And I think he's probably right. Probably probably would help if they could have a practice. I would also say, here's a, here's a take. You decided not to have a practice, ultimately. I know the schedule was the schedule, but, like, you decided to prioritize rest. Like, teams can, you know, like, you had days between games. I know you had to fly places, but you practiced on days when you've had to fly. You chose not to do that, which I think probably, based on research, is the right call. Well, but, but you then can't, but, you know, you then can't say, well, we didn't practice for three weeks. Well, ultimately, like, there were days you could have done more practice. I mean, to your point, they played Sunday night at home. Had Monday off, they had Tuesday off. And that Tuesday got called off because of the weather. But, like, you know, you made the decision, like, you didn't want to risk, you made the, you know, there's a risk assessment. And then you, you can't say you didn't, you know, but I think he's ultimately right. They probably need to practice a little. But I just don't think you say it. Regardless, um, it did feel like last night's game was, like, kind of the one, the Taylor Jenkins takes some heat game of the losing streak. All right, can I can I defend my guy? Mm-hmm. Because I... I feel like I'm the the spearhead of he's a football coach and a basketball mind. Mm-hmm. Did not not feel like a football coach move of when you want to talk to your team through the media. And oh. <laughs> here's exactly what I think was happening. I think because Taylor understands. Hey, it appears right now in the NBA, you know what the least popular opinion is. Mm-hmm. The guys need to be on the floor more. Mm. So, I was wondering if. Really, that was Taylor's way of not necessarily making excuses for himself, but for basically saying to his team, because I I have a suspicion that Taylor Jenkins, like most coaches, would probably prefer that his team practices more than they actually do. Mm-hmm. Now he's not the first coach yeah. that feels that way. And there's a like a line, like Tibbs is like, has Correct. a short shelf life because he's just like, F it, we're going to practice. As you texted me last night, would do you think Tibbs would have said, we, didn't, we haven't been practicing? There's too much ice on the road? Yeah. <laughs> or do you think Tibbs might have said, y'all all have $100,000 SUVs, get your no, ass no. here. two-hour delay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, two hour, be we're still safe. practicing. Hey, be, be safe. safe getting here. Yeah. We'll start when y'all get here. Yeah. 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 But be here by noon. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That is, yeah. So I did start to wonder if that was Taylor's way of getting the message out. Hey, guys, we should practice more. Well, and I think if you look at the schedule, they're going to have a chance to. They have, like, you know, like – they play tonight and then they don't play again until Sunday. And um so and then they play Tuesday and then they don't play again until Friday um on trade deadline week. So they'll have they, there's some opportunities here with extra days off for them to get some practice in. Um and to be fair to Taylor, like that practice line came at the end of like a, you know, I wouldn't say super detailed answer, but fairly 
detailed answer about, you know, why have they struggled in these late-game situations lately? Like, that's the thing that's kind of was disturbing about last night was it's now the third time in this seven-game stretch where they've just blown it in the fourth quarter. And, like, one of the things in the last year's regular season was, like, call 12, you know? And, like, it worked a lot, <laughs> you know? And they were, you know, they were good. They were much better. It seemed like you didn't have many instances of this. And this is now three times. And I'm not saying they, they're not, they can't be a good fourth quarter team. But if you listen to Taylor Jenkins' uh, response last night, to him, very clearly, he sees teams defending them differently now. He says, when we're calling plays, teams are switching up coverages and matchups on us that we're trying to take note of. And this is specifically related to, to end, you know, the late game, you know, sort of late game stuff. Um, what they're throwing at Ja in particular. Like, they're, they're what he's basically saying is like kind of like classic, like in baseball, you know, when a rookie comes up or a young player comes up and then teams start changing yeah, how they, they pitch they, to him. And like the key to a successful career is how do you make the adjustment to the adjustment? Like, it sounds to me from listening to Taylor Jenkins last night, like that's where he feels like they are. It's not like a crisis, it's that. Teams have adjusted how they're playing them, and they have to figure a way out of it. Especially, and like the reality is, they're going to have to hit some more outside shots. But at the same time, if they just don't blow the two games against the Lakers and Golden State, and say they close out Portland, like we're not talking in the terms that some people are. You know, it's not six or seven. They should have won two or three of these games, even though they're not playing great. Yeah. So that kind of gets to gets back to the big question that I have. So how much is there a fine line between admitting a problem and panic? Because yeah. on the one no, hand, yeah. on the one hand like let me let me phrase it this way. On the one hand, let's take it from a uh most, Grizz, most Grizzlies positive show perspective you can possibly have. Mm-hmm. Guys, they went on the road and in uh, on a in seven games, or was it seven of eight? No, tonight would be seven of eight. But six out of seven, they basically got outshot by hot performances in four of them. They had the second night of a back to back. There was a lot of things that didn't go their way. And on and top they had of that, fluky blown correct things against the Lakers, especially correct. against the Lakers, and then against Golden State. Kind of, you know, and they themselves are in a poor shooting rut. Yeah. Shooting is very, very variable. Mm-hmm. Or high, there's high variance in shooting. Yep. That's one perspective. The other perspective would be, well, why do you think they're struggling late game? Teams have now adjusted, yep. like you're saying, and they have figured out. This is you, now like twice in the last two games. Remember I told you I took note of before the Pacers game when Taylor Jenkins said, we don't have a lot of outlets right now. Yep. Something along those to, lines. To your point. Essentially, there's now twice now in the past two games where Taylor Jenkins has kind of like conceded, like we got, we have, like this is a flaw, like this is like. Well, you even know. if you just take just take last night as an example, they got wide open threes. Like Dylan had one from the corner to either take a one point lead or tie the game after they're getting Dame's, decent looks. Like they're getting the looks, they're no, not hitting them, and that's why. I mean, like that begs the real question: Is the bigger issue? The fact that maybe they're not built to make these shots. Yeah. Well, it does feel like this is coming. It's both a blessing and a curse that this is coming right. Literally, this six, losing six and seven is happening right as the trade deadline is here, like a week away. Correct. Like, it is crazy how it's coinciding. Basically, the, all the weakness. It's like it could be a great thing that, like, some of these weaknesses are being exposed right now while you can address them still in a meaningful way. It also feels like it could be a curse because it could make you pan- you know it could make you correct was this panic. just cuz that's that's also kind of if you want to rephrase the question are the grizzlies getting exposed or do they just need a break well and well here's what i would say and this goes to one of my main takes that i want to fire off because all right it is i mean with the you know each day this this og ananobi to mem- the grizzly story gets bigger and bigger it's now like on the front of ESPN.com is like one of the deals we want to see happen at the deadline. Um, and given all that, 
By the way, what channel does Usama Jury go on pretty regularly, pretty frequently? I don't know. Does it? ESPN? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Um, <laughs> well, and we're hearing now Chris Haynes dropped, I think, in a podcast with Mark Stein. He dropped that, you know. Mr. Bubble. <laughs> he dropped that, like, basically. Met- oh, that's a great toss-up. Who made more out of the bubble? OG Ananobi or Chris Haynes? <laughs> um, Both guys. Great job down there. Well, he says that uh, Memphis doesn't want New Orleans to get OG Ananobi, and New Orleans doesn't want Memphis to go get OG Ananobi. And we got ourselves a bona fide bidding war. Hell yeah. Well, I think they'd like to have one. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, that's, I mean, again, does that sound like Zach Kleiman? I, I don't know. I, like, when I read these stories, I go, there's just no way that's the guy I, the guy I know a little bit. Um, but, uh, and I've see, watched work over the last three or four years. But here's my thing. Based we on- have shared many a diet Pepsi's down in the media center <laughs> over the last four years. Um, when you uh, when you look back on what you were just asking, like or what we were just getting at, like is this a, just a you know do you overreact or is it like some a blessing and a curse? Is it like something where you can add something to your team? You found out the flaws at just the right moment and you get to add something meaningful here at the deadline, or is it like? You overreacted to one bad stretch, and you end up making a trade. Yeah, that, is this like is this the ultimate situation of going in for a routine physical and having blood work done, and they catch it like, oh my god, like this is the perfect time. You catch it early, just by coincidence. And and so my take would be if they make a trade, I don't think it's going to be OG and Anobi. I think they do need to make. I think this stretch has shown if they want to go for a title this year. They need to add something at the deadline. If they're serious about, like, they think they can be in the Western Conference Finals and go to the NBA Finals, like, you're going to probably – I think this stretch has shown they're probably one player short, ultimately. But I also don't think you should cash, You necessarily should cash in your chips on a deadline move. Yeah, I guess where I push, All of them. Where I push back on the one player short – I think you can literally, that's such like a generic thing to say. I think you could literally say it about every team. Like, I think you're you're going to be counting on an awful lot from either Zaire Williams or Danny Green if you are, if see, you don't make a deal. You know what, I if you really want to go out there and give us a tasty take, mm-hmm. put your balls on the table, Giannato. Oh my. Make some room. That's, that's This disgusting. team's fundamentally flawed in its construction. Ooh, wow. That's a, that's a take. Where, in what way? If John Morant is going to be your lead dog, okay. you have to surround him with shooting. Yep, 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 yep. And they have, at they're this point— They're one shooter short. How about that? One? <laughs> you think they're multiple? They yeah. have one uh, They have one yeah. shooter. Ty, you don't count Tyus as a good shooter? Uh, you're you, back on— You don't want to—he's not a good number two. He should be your number correct, three or number four correct. on the shooting yeah, scale. Like, I agree with that. You need— you you, probably, yeah. I don't want my second best shooter being my seventh man. <laughs> That's a good point. No, you, he's not a number two. You know, like if we're going to like a, now, a, a football you, terms, he's you, not a number two on the shooting scale. He's Ty- a number three or four. Tyus is the other Steve Smith, the giant Steve Smith. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's he's the number three or number four. It, Pos- correct. Know. Yeah. When they take away everything, you look for him. But he's he's a, he's a good. You need him. Correct. You need him. He can make big catches. But that's what I'm saying. They need a number two shooter, basically. But I would also like to say, I think it's entirely understandable, the issue that they have, in that the order in which you got the pieces Mm -hmm. was a little... It's not like necessarily... I think think it's entirely possible that you could have hoped... You know, we think... We think Ja at some point is going to be a 38% three-point shooter. I think now we can understand... That feels like a stretch. I mean, Kleiman made it clear before the season, like that was the off. That was like the goal of the off season was to get more shooting. Now, did they? You know, I, I don't know. It, the jury's very much still out on that. Um, they certainly got younger players. Well, they did get a thirty-five-year-old with a knee. Yeah, but I think they can. Like, I don't understand. Like, they're gonna, they might make a deal. I don't think it's going to be some like the OG Ananobi deal. It feels to me like you could make a deal. Where you don't have to, they have seven draft picks over the next two years. So they really shouldn't keep all these draft picks. But they also have a bunch of seconds. And like, can you. Wait, are you saying seven firsts? No, seven total. Seven total over the next two drafts. Like, they can't pick all those picks. Now, some of them, 
they're going to keep to use because they like trading up in the draft. Like, that's why I think they've decided to stockpile picks like that. Because you've seen over the years, they like to use draft use use draft night to make trades and move up. And, they, like, a lot of their stuff has been done around drafts. Um, but they can also use, like, you know, like, I just don't, I like, can't, there could be an up. Maybe it's not the upgrade that makes them a title contender, but it's also not an upgrade that like goes all in on a player like OG Ananobi. Who I'm just gonna be honest, I, I am not clear that like that is the like to me that doesn't feel like the guy that puts you over the top. It feels like a guy he 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 probably makes you better. But I, I don't. My gut tells me he doesn't put you over the top. I'm well, glad you bring that up because it's time for some more. I, I'm not liking your takes right now. Oh, your really? takes are too lukewarm. Oh, really? You are not, you, at no point are you even making room to throw your nuts on the table. <laughs> oh, my. Here's a tasty take for you. You know who wants to trade OG Ananobi the most? Oh, yes. Toronto. <laughs> That's absolutely they right. Are, they are. Every, You're not hearing anybody else's no. name out there. Pascal Siakam's name ain't getting and leaked. And this is what Scotty Barnes ain't getting leaked. Stop. Maybe a little Gary Trent Jr. Maybe. But even him. First of all, I was sitting there, I was like, holy hell. Where are the these guys? I need their agents. Like, I want them <laughs> to be my agent because all of a sudden, like, you're sitting there, you are the bell of the ball. And I have no idea how. But you look at all, you can almost trace back every single one of these reports mm-hmm. about OG Ananobi. It's like, man, that sure does sound like it's coming from Toronto. <laughs> but the 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 icing on the cake, as you point out, was today's. We got a bidding war between the Pelicans and the Grizzlies. Yeah. That come on, come, come on, oh, come on. That reeks of desperation. <laughs> they don't want. They, Correct. Memphis needs to hold down the New Orleans Pelicans. Yes. Come on. In the end, y'all, the reason why OG Ananobi's getting out there, they want him out there. That's who they want to trade. I think the Grizzlies make a move based on I think both things can be true. I think this this is has been a stretch that is concerning enough to make you think you need to do something. You need to add something. I don't think you need to shit like OG Ananobi to me is like shaking it up a little bit, you know? And I don't think you do that. I think you want to see what this group does as is throughout. And like like to me, they just they need another shooting option. It, do, it doesn't need you know to what? be some huge. It doesn't need to be a thing that like kind of rocks the core of your team, and and, OG and gives up all your future flexibility to make. You know, like frankly, like if you bomb out in the playoffs, it's like it's such a going all in. It's like basically you're losing your big move. And so, like, what if you do this and then the playoffs don't go well this year? Still, because like it took a while to, you know, like it's not the greatest fit or whatever. And then you're going in next year without any sort of flexibility to make any changes. Whereas if you make like a smaller move right now, keep those first round picks or at least a couple of them. Like to me, there's a best of both worlds scenario here. It doesn't have to be all in on OG Ananobi. I think you can add a piece at the deadline and not go all in. I firmly believe going all in on OG Ananobi is like splitting kings and blackjack. Could you perhaps get multiple, like, could you win twice? Sure. You also just split up something that you know is going to get you, that's capable of getting you to a conference finals. Now, some people would argue you're not never going to get anything out of these picks, ultimately. Like, anything okay. better out of these picks. Okay. Here that would, would be the counter argument. And, and this would be my rebuttal to the rebuttal. Because mm-hmm. I've played this game before. I trust this front office to draft more than I trust them to make deals. In the end, who are the best players on the roster? Ja, Jaron, Desmond Bain. Okay. One of which you can at least, if you want to be, if you want to be as specific as possible, you can make the argument Jaron was drafted by the previous regime. Yes. Which is completely a, it a, was. a reasonable point to make, and I do think it should be noted. Mm-hmm. But everyone else, and then on top of that, look at the other people. So if you look at the rotation... Dez, Brandon Clark, Santi Aldama were all guys they used picks to move up in Correct. the draft. Like they went and got. They identified. You know, Zaire Williams is, you know, more than him in a minute. Not great. 
Um, I, not the I'm not, not got, the great return those have had I am, merited so far. Uh, since with you being lukewarm in your flavors okay. today, I'm in the spice rack. Okay. <laughs> Are you gonna go with it? I thought you were gonna give well, me. Well, no, one. I'm just saying. I I I I would like for people to acknowledge. I would re- if I'm playing the odds. Mm-hmm. I'd rather bet on this team making draft picks than mm. bank on them acquiring talent through trades. I th- I just think there's I think they can do both. I think okay, but you see yeah, what I'm saying. I agree with you though. I I, agree. I general in general agree with your philosophy of like I don't necessarily think you need to like go go for broke right here. And tra- I, I don't agree with the thought of trade all the stuff for OG Ananobi. I I just don't agree with that but sentiment. I'm in agreement with you in that you should yes have a blend of both. Mm-hmm. What people are talking about is eliminating the opportunity for one of the other options and then going all in on new justice. <laughs> he's better than justice Winslow. with a healthy back. He's better than he can he shoot can a little shoot, better. Yeah, he can shoot a little better. He's long, maybe a Correct. little longer. But do you not do you not recognize maybe the similarities? God, you know, I can't believe we're saying this, but we don't have room for him. You know who's available? <laughs> we just have too many people that are just like him. Yeah, he's just you know, listen. We'll never be able to and sign way, him. We'll never be able to sign him. You'll never be able to get him again. Yeah. This is your one time. <laughs> and by the way, our phone is ringing off the Dude, hook. Ujiri right made now. sure he got filmed walking off the court Correct. with James Jones the other night. Respect that. <laughs> this guy's pulling out all the stops to get to get rid of someone. All right. I think we have to remember that in all okay. this. And speaking of. Mm. <sighs> oh. All right, there's a couple of ways I can go with this take. Oh my. But I'll say this. Are the the nuts are on the table? I Correct. guess. Okay. Um, one of my all time favorite wrestlers. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's on my Mount Rushmore, but he's one of my personal favorite wrestlers. Superstars. He's both because okay. he's been he's mm-hmm. no longer in the world wrestling entertainment company. Um, Chris Jericho. Okay. Jericho always like abided by the philosophy. You know what? He's one of the one of the anchors of our show here. Correct. <laughs> but he always abided by the philosophy. It's never a bad idea to go away for about six months, mm. learn a new hold, mm-hmm. come back with a new move, and have everybody be have, like, yeah! Have a new talking point. Correct. Yeah. little repackaging. Mm-hmm. You know who needs to go away for about six months and learn a new hold? Zaire Williams. Oh, my. Oh, my. Because you watch him right now, and you know, like, when you can just see someone, like, he is just swimming. Yeah. And you can just feel. He doesn't know what he's supposed correct. to be. And it's like he's in. If he's not a spot-up three-point shooter, he doesn't know what he's correct. supposed to be. And, and he's not hitting threes. And this feels like. He's run the floor guy. That's the only defined role he really has right now. If you were a lesser team, I think it's completely reasonable to just leave him out there and yeah. let him let Play him swim. It. Play through it. Yeah, yeah, see if he can learn to swim. It's hurting him right now. Yeah, how long do you stick with him? Correct. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying he needs to go away. I do think now, like you can I'm not saying ship him away. I'm saying shelve him. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you can repackage play, him. I think you can play him some still in the regular season, but like if Danny, you know, now if Danny Green has it going, he needs to be ahead of him in the pecking order. Well, here's what here's where I think this is where it becomes a really interesting position. And the great thing about our position is um, we're allowed to make the comments. With less of the risk. I would also point out there's a reason why the guys that make the decisions make about 20 times what we make. Because mm-hmm. that's what the money's for. Yeah. But did you happen to read ESPN? Kevin Van Valkenburg had a really interesting profile on Howie Roseman, the Eagles GM. Mm-hmm. And one, you know, because Roseman has been gone from like toast of the town when the Eagles won the Super Bowl with Foles and Peterson to like, Public enemy number one because he let the birds. How could you go from a Super Bowl team to, you know, a doormat? And mm-hmm. what are you doing drafting Jalen Hurts when you've got wins and it's win now? Like, there's been plenty of room to criticize him. Mm-hmm. Well, yet, lo and behold, here He's they are. In the Super Bowl. And what most people would sit there and go, they're the favorite in the Super Bowl. And I think most people would agree they clearly have the better top to bottom roster. Mm-hmm. But everyone's sitting there going, well, on the other end, the cor- yeah, the quarterback. Correct. Yeah. So, so one of the quotes, though, that I thought was very interesting was from his old boss, Jim Banner. 
And Jim Banner made the point, what has made Howie successful in this rebuild is he has not been afraid to bail early. Mm. They use like the examples of Jalen Rieger. Belichick was like that back in, Correct. Back like, in his heyday with the Patriots. You just, sometimes you sit it's there. It's a little different with the contract Correct. structure of the NFL. It's easier to, Correct. It's easier to bail early. 53-man roster versus yeah. rotations of eight or nine. Or ten, whatever. So you're saying you're saying are you are you proposing here the Grizzlies should cut bait? I'm just saying they should be prepared to make the decision because it does seem like what one of the things that they like to do is particularly on their guys one more year. Well, like the trade proposed on ESPN.com, for instance, six big trades we want to see at the 2023 deadline is the the deal is Danny Green Zaire three first round picks for OG Ananobi. Like and I'm, I look at that and I go, that's crazy, right? Well, first off, I get, Gobert changed everything because he was four first round picks, I guess. But like, I thought three first round picks was like I'm getting like Kevin Durant. Well, the Knicks, uh, if I recall correctly, the Knicks wouldn't do three first for Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, like I, I think I, I that seems like a crazy trade to me, for like. A guy who ever people go one of the talking points, Jeffrey, is is a guy who averaged seventeen points in a playoff series last year. You know who else averaged seventeen points in a playoff series in the last couple of years? Dylan Brooks. <laughs> like he did. That Utah series, he was great. Again, I am not saying he is not possibly a good addition to the team. He might be a slight upgrade, but the three the all the the whole war chest. Did he become LeBron? <laughs> it's not LeBron. He's like Paul George. People like me are like Paul George. Fine. Yeah. Guess what? I like to crap on Paul George. He ain't Paul George. No. I, I, like, and I th- consider it for Paul at George. At a certain point, I feel like I'm cr- taking crazy pills because I feel like I'm the only one asking, why is this guy getting pumped down our throats? What is it? He's a 37, 37%, 38% three-point shooter, Jeffrey. Having, having 17 points a game. Does this not feel like peddling? Great defensive player, metric-wise. Except he's getting worse. Still, great metrically. Okay, you sigh. <laughs> I'm just giving the... I, I'm with you. I, I just... Like, I think they should make a trade. I just don't think... It, I think you can add something that can help you without giving up, like, all of this for OG Ananobi. I think you can get, like, maybe maybe you're not, you're, I don't think you're getting the player quite that OG Ananobi is, but I don't necessarily think this team needs OG Ananobi. Like, I'm not I'm not convinced if you have Dylan Brooks and OG Ananobi on the same team, when Dylan Brooks knows in his, in his heart of hearts, whether Dylan Brooks starts or not, OG Ananobi's going to be there to replace him the next year. They're not taking in OG Ananobi and then re-signing Dylan Brooks. Right? Yeah, I was trying to look. I wanted to look per month. Like, are we convinced that's going to work from a chemistry standpoint in that locker room? Okay, so if you take a look at it right now, Dylan in four games in October shot. October? I'm, I, I, I promise this is a point. From three, Dylan in October shot 40%. He was 10 to 25. That was four games. 14 games in November. From three, he went 28 of 89, 31.5%. Mm-hmm. In December, also 14 games, Dylan went 34 of 90, mm-hmm. 37.8%. Okay. In January, tailed he, off. 14 games, he went 16 of 73 yeah. for 21.9%. And then last night, he goes one of six. He has, he, he's been going through an extended so shooting slump. The reason why no I'm doubt bring, about it. The reason why I'm bringing all that up is if Dylan just has a bad January and flips that 14 games with November, are we having this conversation this desperately? No, I, it's all about timing, I think. It's and, the fact that we're a week away from the trading deadline and the reason is why, why it's so up, elevated. Before everyone goes, well, no, duh. Y'all. We have to remember the Dylan Brooks experience. It's always good month, bad month, good month, bad month. It's just all about timing the market. So what are we? What are we at? So 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 we had good. February's month. good. That means April's good, but that means May Correct. is not good. Ugh, that's not good. Correct. That means May is not a good but month. 
Sometimes, though, he'll throw back-to-back bad months with back-to-back good months. So the question is, is there someone out there smart enough on a spreadsheet, able enough to come up with a model, to come up with a model that predicts whether or not we can at least have fingers crossed for good Dylan during the playoff stretch? I thought last night, I don't know if last night, you know, I mean, Damian Lillard was... Exceptional? (laughs) Yes. So I don't know if anyone was going to stop him last night. I mean, that's the other thing. But Dylan certainly didn't, but I don't know if anyone was last night. Damian Lillard was that good. I would actually even say that is the category of if Dylan can't stop him, no one can. Um, but I would also point this out. He he How took only games? nine shots last night. Like it wasn't a like he, no. He actually, I thought you could tell, almost was feeling the effects of what he's been going through, in that he was um, not necessarily looking for his shot all the time because he knows he's got to work himself into a rhythm. Um, like I watched him before the game the other night against uh, against the Pacers. Like he had a terrible warm up. Like he was like oh like. Visibly frustrated during warmups because he wasn't hitting shots in warmups. Like I, I, he's going through something right now, shooting wise. So the question though is, is it physical or mental? Well, it's probably mental. It's you know everyone goes through slumps. I mean it's just Dylan. I mean Dylan is a streaky shooter. That's what he is ultimately. Again, timing the market. Yeah, um, that's why they need another shooter because I don't think you need someone to replace Dylan. You need someone who can fill in when Dylan is going through stuff like this. Well, was that your boy last night? All right, can we be if, if we have to be in the trust tree? Mm-hmm. Since I'm I'm telling you that you haven't had to put your nuts on the line, but yet again on a situation I didn't really care about, mm-hmm. asking whether or not I thought uh, Danny Green would make multiple threes last night mm. after he splashed that first one. Oh, you were I like openly started rooting for him to keep missing <laughs> because that wasn't e- like the thing is, even that, though you didn't have money on the bet, you correct, had to win it. Cor- well, and it's also like you just chose to put me actively on the spot, <laughs> like. I felt like I was with Calkins for a minute there. Uh, well, he but didn't. Again, he didn't. Like, you didn't put yourself on the line. Yeah. Proud of you. <laughs> he uh, columnists do that very well. Yeah. Well, he did. He he was fine. You know, I saw enough to be like intrigued to see more. That's how I would put it. I'd agree with that. And even the air balls, at least they looked like they were online. He was confident depth, shooting them. Depth perception. Yeah. And yeah, he switched the one. He switched, Jim. Seeing one yeah. go in was yeah. crucial after yeah. two air ball with two air ball. I know the it, the second air ball came after the make, right? Yes. He, he only had one he air ball. Him, yeah. yeah. But because he had the make, it didn't make it so bad. And he's not playing tonight. He's ruled out. Um and uh but I I bet we'll see him on Sunday against the Raptors again. And then maybe Tuesday against the Bulls. And then who knows? That feels right. A little on, off, on, off. Yeah, who knows. Um, So Eric is going to actually join us at 3 o'clock. He's running into some issues in Cleveland. So when we come back, we're going to get in the list. Yeah. Um, Because Jason Smith's going to join us next hour as well. So we've got a lot of stuff to get to. Dabo Sweeney, uh, Nick Saban, uh, and more. You're listening to the Giannato and Jeffrey Show on 92.9 FM ESPN. Join us at the top of the next hour. Before we do that, let's get into the list. Giannato and Jeffrey keep a list of the stories and people they need to talk about. Being on the list can be a good or bad thing. Listen Listen to to find find out out who made it and why. This is The List. You just made the list. On Giannato and Jeffrey on 92.9 FM ESPN. Dabo Sweeney. You just made the list. Wait, what? So... Jeffrey, I had forgotten about this part of because this part of traditional National Signing Day hasn't left us. Like well, obviously, it's not exciting from the players. Y- you mean the the press conference? Yes, okay. the post signing yeah, day the, press conference. The spin um, It has not left. I forgot about it yesterday, and so we got like Dabo talking for the first time in a while. Mark, and, you literally got everyone. Yeah. Well, Silverfield did it today, uh, but he had a, it, 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 he had weather talk, related. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Weather related. Um, he talked today, but no, but Dabo spoke and, uh, Jeffrey, he had some takes. Well, yeah, he had some things to get off his chest about the fan base because, <laughs> you know, he's not the greatest, you know, they've got a lot to be excited about there. Cause they can, you know, they got Dabo. They were able to introduce, you know, Garrett Riley's there now. Um, they felt like they went to their first like reset. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they needed a reset. And they feel like they've they've started. Well, here's Dabo Sweeney with a little history lesson for the Clemson fan base, all right? 
We've won three national titles in 127 years. The problem is we've won two in seven, so sometimes that creates a loss of perspective. And when you lose perspective, you lose your joy. This place has always had a lot of fun. There were 5,000 fans when we got back from winning the ACC championship in 2011. Now there ain't nobody there. Now it ain't a big deal. Our program has never been better ever. What's happened these last 12 years is historic. Sometimes people can lose perspective. We've raised the bar here. We've changed the standard and the expectations, and I love that. But as we strive to meet and exceed those expectations every single year, we've got to have joy in the journey. For us to act like we're a bunch of failures around here because we only won the league and lost to our rival for the first time in a decade, that's a bad mentality. Hopefully we won't have a bunch of miserable people out there if we don't go 15-0. and 0. Dabo! Using, okay. using signing day to get a message out. Couple of thoughts here. Number one, um, why would they be flying from Charlotte well, there to was Clemson? No, there was no, there was no mention of fly. It just said when we I got back. Said, it just said we like I, I told you before the show. I told you incorrectly. It was just said when we got back. It doesn't say anything about where okay. the where it was. Because that's a two hour bus ride. Yeah, they probably took a bus, you know, and like right. no one was there at the facility to greet them afterwards. Okay. After um, who they beat in the ACC championship game this year? Uh, North Carolina, who, yeah, right. who was coming coming in hot off a loss at home to North Carolina State. <laughs> yeah, um, remember that was the game where Drake May's mom was blitzed in the. They kept showing her in the the suite. Well, she was like passed out by the fourth quarter. Well, I saw <laughs> I saw the former the, the long, shard was flowing. The longtime Clemson SID Tim Barrett uh, tweeted that he's he's retired now, but he tweeted out like the similarities between this. And Dabo's first season with Chad Morris. Yeah. Um, like this season and that season. And so, I mean, we'll see. Now they have Garrett Riley. It feels like Dabo, Dabo addressed the wound by getting Dab- by getting Garrett Riley. Now, if Riley doesn't work out, you know, that will be a problem, obviously. But, you know, it's a at, in the moment, you cannot say anything but like Dabo did a great job in terms of his offseason addressing well, what appeared to be a looming problem for him. I would also argue it was a problem that he created himself. In the end, when he... he Promoted kept, within. He kept believing part of what made them special was not two NFL first-round draft picks at quarterback and a bunch of NFL first-round receivers. He thought what made them special was they did did, did things differently. Well, and along the lines of what we were talking about in the last segment, where you were like, you know, too making a decision too yeah. early or too late. Correct. Like I wouldn't say this is this was not early, obviously, but I also would say he isn't doing this too late. Like they had one, they had a season where it was it became very clear. It's like the difference between him and Kirk Ferentz right now. Like Dabo Sweeney sees there's something obviously wrong and made a drastic change to it to address it. By going out and spending a bunch of money to get Garrett Riley, yeah, then you got I, Kirk Ferentz. Like we are not, <laughs> right? We but, are not. Nepotism will reign well, at the University well, of Iowa. Well, first off, you came to the right place. Nepotism reigns at Clemson. <laughs> Dabo just has one unfortunate. For instance, if Dabo's kids were in their forties, they'd be offensive coordinators, and he wouldn't be firing them either. <laughs> the only reason why Kirk's taking a bunch of heat is because Kirk's Kirk's son is calling the plays. Mm. If Dabo's kids were old enough to be calling the plays, let me tell you what, they'll still be out there next fall. You bank that. They'll still be on the field. That's mm. still that was my all-time favorite. When when Dave Clawson kept kicking it to Dabo's kid on the kickoff return, just because he saw like listen, there's a swing out there. We kick it to him every time. <laughs> it was like finally they had to like move, they had to take him off the field. <laughs> like that was just that was an all-timer. But I do I do agree with you in this sense. He could have dug in probably more than he did mm-hmm. on the way they do things, and it's not like he was going to get fired, but at least he did acknowledge we've got to switch it up. We need fresh ideas. Here we go. I would also argue, though, it was very obvious that you had to do that. Like mm-hmm. At a certain point, when you, it's not like Kirk Ferentz was ever known for high-flying offense. You know what I mean? Like, Dabo was known for being having exciting offenses, and now all of a sudden you're, like, watching a Clemson game. is like watching, pulling, you know, trying pulling teeth. And I think he... I, think I, it's a little I was different. more impressed that they, like, basically also cut bait with Uyungale, too. Like, I thought maybe they'd hold on a lot, you know. Yeah, I think that actually might have been a mutual parting of the ways. Yeah. I think, I think DJ was ready to get out, too. He's at Oregon State now? Correct. That'll be interesting. 
for him out there. Um, all right, real quick. Nick Saban. You just made the list. So a charter jet, Jeffrey, mm. with the Alabama logo on it, was spotted in South Bend, and the reports are it was there to pick up Tommy Reese to take him back to Tuscaloosa to interview with Nick Saban. So Saban apparently... The reports out of Washington are that he got turned down by the Washington OC, not the other way around. It wasn't like it was like no. the Washington OC said thanks. I'm going to get a raise from Washington. No thanks. Now, I would like to say maybe some context does matter. A, we don't know. Like, I'm, it's unclear to me if Alabama's getting outbid at some point. Mm. And also, the difference between being at Washington right now and being at Alabama, he knows who his quarterback's going to be. He's running it back with Penix. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he sees it as like, I have a big year here next Correct. year. I could be a head coach. Correct. Um, Versus having for, to go figure it out Two or Alabama. three years yeah. at Alabama. And the other thing at Alabama is, even if he, even if Saban lets you run the concepts that you want to run, you have to learn his terminology. You have to learn, like, it is like going back to school, if you will. Well, I'll say this. I bet you Tommy Reese says yes. I know, I know he's a Notre Dame guy, but he was a Brian Kelly Notre Dame guy. And, well, I think he also knows. The reality is if Marcus Freeman doesn't work out at Notre Dame, they won't hire him there unless if he goes to Saban and has like three years that are really good as Saban's OC at Alabama, well, then Notre Dame might hire you. Well, I think there's – and there's also another point about Marcus Freeman that applies. You know who will be next to be scapegoated? Tommy Reese. There you go. Yeah, that's that's fair, even though he's an alum. Correct. Yeah, so – I, I think the fa- and it, and frankly now that it's been this big thing it's gonna be hard for him like I mean I guess he could I guess he could come back to Notre Dame but like that's a well, weird visual to be taking the Alabama plan like actually going down in person that's a big thing oh see I think this is more risky for Saban because mm, if he says no I think if you now get, you now if it gets tracked you can still spin the because when we got eyeballs on the airplane in South Bend. Mm-hmm. It's tough to spin that. Yeah, that means you. That means you want. Right, them. you you got to that point, mm-hmm. and that's the number one rule. You don't get on the plane unless you're getting the yes. And if you're, but if you're Notre Dame, you can easily spin that again. Guys, LSU came after him last year, and Alabama came after him this year. Yeah, and he There's came, no yeah. place he'd rather be. He's loyal than right here with but, touchdowns. But can Jesus. Notre Dame pay him enough? I know, like Notre Dame has money. More money than the typical ACC school, even. But if uh, if, if Saban wants him, they can offer him two million dollars. If they wanted to get into a bidding war, they could, yeah, but they've yeah. typically not wanted to. Yeah, yeah, I think that is. Uh, <laughs> I think that is. Uh, that's fair. Um, Are we sure Tommy Reese is good? Ah, no, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like their offense was very not good last year. And, yeah, he had some good offenses, but guess who else had some good offenses? Brian Kelly. Yeah, I don't know. But, I can. I mean, it feels like Saban doesn't have an obvious choice for OC this time. Like, it felt like I, we he talk- had, like, the guy on staff each of the last few well, times. Well, remember we also talked about, we talked about last week whether or not he's getting turned down or, like, whether or not this is, like, can you, I think right now it's safe to say, at the minimum, the perception is he's getting turned down. I mean, all of his last, this is going to be the first time it appears in like four or five OCs where it's not going to be a former head coach. Like he had Loxley, he had Lane. Well, well Loxley or Gaddis, depending on who you believe. Yeah, it was Loxley. <laughs> Gaddis would have you believe it was Gaddis. Yeah. Regardless, Lane was a former head coach. Sarkeesian, former head coach. Bill O'Brien, former. You had these guys like waiting in the wings. To take this job, and this time, you know, and maybe it's, to be fair, like, he's basically gone through, you know, five, six OCs in the last ten years because of their success, and now it feels like there's no one left in reserve, almost. Well, here's the question. Is the Nick Saban school for wayward boys, is the problem, is the problem that there's no, there's nobody out there for Nick to fix anymore? Like, you know what I mean? He's already gotten the, he's gotten the guys that need rehabbing all puns intended, he's gotten them fixed now. Because it feels like no matter no matter what, you can't put Art Briles in the rehab school. Agreed? Like he, I think it seems at this point like he is just no, off, off limits for risky. anyone. 
Even Correct. his son, it's like very like. Ugh. Yeah, but Kendall has not had problem getting jobs. No, he hasn't. But there's been some attached. Correct. But what seems to be the the clear aspect to your point, you know, if you look at the trends of guys that don't want to go take the job, it's guys that are at places where, hey man, like I'm pretty good here. Like in the end, I'm making two million bucks here, and I don't have the pressure of having to go win every single game. Maybe I know who my quarterback is. It seems like the problem that Saban's having is he's having to go raid other teams' offensive coordinators. Yeah. And he's never had a lot of success with that. Where he has had a lot of success is, hey, this guy's falling on his face. I'll 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 put him up, get him through the car wash, and then we'll package him back out again. But yeah. like if you look at if you look at his track record, like when he got to LSU, Jimbo Jimbo was more or less a retention. Mm-hmm. So then he gets to Alabama, and originally he brought in Major Applewhite, and it was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Then he went to, like, I want to say Nussmeyer maybe was after that. Yeah, and that wasn't great. And Nussmeyer he pawned him off on Michigan. Didn't work. Then I think McIlwain showed up. From he like, was okay. He was, yeah, I mean, he got another yeah. gig. And then from McIlwain, they went to, who was that? Is there somebody between Lane and McIlwain? Maybe it was Lane then. Loxley? Or was Loxley I, thought Loxley, Lane? I thought Loxley was after Lane and between Sark. Sark? Maybe. I don't know. Um, but it's uh, it's interesting that watch save. Like, that we've never seen. It seems like it's I never Loxley, been like this remember, in a while. Hasn't been like this Sark in a while. Sark took the Alabama job as the analyst after he fired Lane. Remember he let Lane coach the, the yeah. semifinal and then fired him? Yeah, Sark was right Correct. after. Sark coached that, but then remember everyone thought like, oh, he's getting the gig full time. Then he went and took the Falcons job. That's right. After Shanahan and the uh, Falcons OC. Loxley was the coordinator that year. That's right. That's right. I just can't remember if there's anybody between McIlwain and Lane. Real quick before we get to Eric Castellan, Tennessee basketball. You just made the list. We were talking about Speaking him yesterday. Speaking of Iowa, Iowa offense. Yeah. <laughs> what would you rather watch, Tennessee offense or Iowa? Tennessee basketball offense or Iowa football offense? Yeah, they uh, they go down to Florida, lose sixty seven fifty four, and I mean I said it after they lost to Kentucky. Like I think it's a good team. I just think it's going to be your standard Rick Barnes team. Ultimately, they're going to let you down in the tournament. You and I see this the exact same way. Of all the top seeds to see, I'd if you're a Memphis yeah, in a I'd second round, I, I don't know if that's like the number one choice, mm-hmm. but it's a top. I'd, it's I'd top take, my list. There's no way that team blows out Memphis. You're gonna be. They a, would win. They would. They would be favored, and correct. they should win. Correct. And but they would not. I don't think they'd blow out Memphis. I'm telling you, and I, I think would, Memphis would have a good shot at beating them. I understand Memphis played Alabama close in Tuscaloosa. I would still rather see Tennessee in the second game of a tournament than see Alabama. Mm. Yeah, someone points out we forgot Dable in the OC conversation with Alabama. Dable, so Dable, maybe Dable was this person saying he was between Saint, Sark and uh, and Lane Kiffin, and then after. 